Matthew chapter 7, there, were, there was a question, there was actually a couple of questions that I didn't get answered. I didn't answer last week. Last week we talked about um, how, what it means to know God, what it means to know Him so that we're not the kind of people that at the end He says, depart from me, I never knew you. So what it means to know him. But there was a couple of questions. There was one question that came out in particular. And I thought, you know, if one guy has this question, I bet you there's, there's more people that were thinking the same thing. And it was from this verse that I read last week in Matthew 7, verse 22. And it says this. It says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So the interesting thing that came out was that here he says, These are, this is not just anybody. This is a person that, person that prophesied in your name, that cast out demons in your name, that did many wonders and signs in your name. So the question was this, how can some people do these things and then Jesus say, I did not know you? And so I think a part of that question is answered. Uh, one of the answers is over in Romans 11. Romans 11, verse 29. I'm going to read it to you out of the King James Version first. It says, For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. I like the New Living Translation even better because the way it says it is, For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn, can never be taken back. So we have the kind of father, the kind of God that freely gives us giftings and abilities. And so those giftings and abilities, we then become responsible for, become accountable for. So God is an amazing God because he doesn't control our will. He doesn't try to control you. He doesn't try to force you to do things that you don't want to do. He wants you to worship him and obey him willfully. That is the greatest compliment that we give God. That's why worship is so important. When we're worshiping God and we are honoring him, we're doing it of our own free will. What a sweet sacrifice that is. Because, I, you know, I, how many of you have ever had somebody give something to you begrudgingly? They didn't want to give it to you. But they had to give it to you anyway. That doesn't feel exciting to receive that gift. But man, when you willfully, this is why Nicole and I, we never really had the call for youth ministry, but we did for college age, for young adults. In fact, we, that was one, our first job as in pastoral ministry was to young adults. And I loved it because the young adults wanted to be there. But the high school students, many times their parents made them go. So now it's like, hey, fix my kid, you know, anyway. So the, it's just a different mentality, you know, the college age, the young adults want to be there. They're willfully coming and being a part of what God wants to do. And man, I love that. I, I know how God feels. So this is why he gave us free will. So here, here we come and we honor him, but we, in, the, in a part of this will, we have this ability to decide and the accountability and the responsibility of our gifts and our call, am I going to use this for his glory, for his benefit, or am I going to use it for my own? Because you take a person who's, who has an amazing gift, and like Balaam, 
Balaam is, is a classic example of someone who God had blessed him with an amazing gift. He had the gift of prophecy. He could speak the oracles of God. King said that the people that he blessed were blessed. The people that he cursed were cursed. I mean, he has an obvious gift. But you know what happened to Balaam? He found out he could make money. He found out that he could really earn some cash with his gift. And so it became all about him. David, on the other hand, had an amazing gift for music. He had an amazing gift as a warrior, as a king and a leader. And what did he do with his gift? He used it to build the kingdom of God. He used it and he submitted it under obedience to the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And what happened to him? Oh, my word. Everybody knows who King David was. Man after God's own heart. And so this is how a person can prophesy, can cast out devils, can do signs and wonders and not be living for God. They have a gift that has been freely given to them. They haven't used the gift correctly. Is that, is that making sense? Because sometimes people ask that. They go, man, how... How does this happen? So there's a responsibility. There's an accountability to this gift. In Matthew 5, verse 45, it says this. God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. So shouldn't we, as freely as he has given to us this gift, shouldn't we freely give that gift back to him? Because it's his anyway. That's the way. I, I, I mean, personally, I just view it that I wouldn't be alive, I wouldn't be breathing if it wasn't for God. So uh, I'm going to honor him and give him glory. So here's the second question. How do we know that we know him? How do we know that we know the Father? Turn over to 1 John, and I want to read to you out of 1 John chapter 4. I'm, I'm real excited about this morning, by the way. Yeah. 1 John 4. Remember that song, some of, the, some of you that are in my neck of the woods as far as age go, can remember that song, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, remember that? Beloved, let us love one another. All right, some of you, some of the rest of you can too, I'm sure. Yeah, everybody's starting to sing it. Yeah, it was a swing, it was a shuffle fill, those of you that played drums. Love it. Let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> when the church transitioned, just a side note, when the church transitioned from hymns to what they called scripture songs, you know, when we started singing more contemporary style music and it was scriptures, it was scriptures and I remember Nicole's dad he was very traditional, and he said, they're singing, he said, they're singing songs, they're singing scripture songs, and that's not scriptural, and that, that's not biblical, that was what he said, and it was like, okay, so a little side note, sorry, <laughs> He's, you have to know Nicole's dad, that was 100 years ago, he's not like that anymore, he loves songs that are biblical and scriptural, okay, First John 4. Look at verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. 
Now listen, we're, ans- we're answering this question, how do we know that we know him? You only know that you know him by your love for others. We're getting ready to read it. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So the barometer for whether or not I know him, I can check my love walk. That's what we just read. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest toward us, that God has sent his son, his only begotten son, into the world, that we might live through him. In this is the love, and in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so God is love, and so the way that I love other people is the barometer for how much I know him, because he is love. You guys, you guys tracking with that? All right, thanks, one of you. John 17, verse 3 says this. It says, and this is eternal life. In, in this culture in Christianity, it feels like that <clears throat> eternal life is me answering an altar call, praying to receive Jesus, and getting my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And, I, and, and although that's good, listen to what it says. And this is eternal life that you may, that they may know you, God, that we would know him, the only true God in Jesus whom he sent. Well, how do we know him? See, we, we got born again. It's not what we were saved from as much as what we were saved unto. That God wanted us to come into, oh man, this, so where I'm going is to finish work of the cross, okay? I'm just getting ahead of myself because I'm so excited. I'm going to get there. Just bear with me, okay? Bear with me. So, so I can't know him without becoming more like him. This is why I was saved, to become like him. Kids imitate their fathers. I remember I was, I was sitting in front of Golden Corral one time and, and I was waiting on somebody and, the, and this father came out and he had a toothpick. He grabbed a toothpick. Remember, you know, they used to have those at the door. You can pick the steak out of your teeth on the way out. And they gra- you know, he grabbed a toothpick and he stuck it in his mouth and he's walking out and behind him comes his little three-year-old son and he's got a toothpick sticking out of his mouth. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh. What is he doing? He is imitating his dad. His dad may not let him go very far with that, but... He wants to be like his dad. I used to steal my dad's cigarettes. Remember the little barns? And you opened the door and it went, remember the barn door? How many of you remember that? It was old. That's like Toy Story even before that. And so you know, I had the barn. And so I would take my dad's cigarettes and I would hide it up in the loft of my barn. Because he would smoke and I would sit in the back seat of the car and what did he do? He'd smoke in the car and he'd crack the window because, you know, all the smoke goes out of the car when you're going 55 miles an hour down the road. It doesn't come in the back seat. 
And, you know, and I can't breathe back there. So, so I would take his cigarettes. But, but one thing I did when I was in the room was I would pull out a cigarette and I would look in the mirror and see what he looked like. And I would imitate my father. Now, thank God, he quit smoking, which proves you can stop. He quit cold turkey. I mean, I, it, was, it was impressive to see. All right, but my point is that we imitate our father. We, want, we got saved to become like him. Well, he is love. Love is not something God does. Love is something he is. It's who he is. So, so our goal is to become what he paid for. Amen? So, all right. So turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to start looking at the finished work of the cross. So everything that I just said to you was a wrap-up on last week. So I hope that feels like I put a nice bow on it and tied it off for you. Last week, if you weren't here last week and you want to go back, it's on our website, it's on the podcast, it's on SoundCloud. And so you can check it out. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When you and I got born again, we got born again with the idea that our life would be transformed and so we would look more and more like him every day. So salvation is not just me coming to a decision point and receiving him, but it's him receiving me. I, I think to some degree a lot of churches have made it all about more, uh, or teaching, I shouldn't say churches, but teaching has made it more about the benefits and the things that we receive from God instead of that we can become like him and what we can give to him. That it's an exchange. It's a great exchange. He didn't, he, he didn't just, <clears throat> you know, I have this picture. I used to work for a Christian production company. I was a film editor back in Oh, wow, when was this, 1998, 99? And, and, and I used to help produce commercials. And one of the videos that we did, one of the commercials that we did a long time ago was of a guy that <clears throat> he's in the electric chair. And, and you hear this dialogue between these lawyers and, and these different people, and they're saying, they, they say, I can't believe that he's doing this. And he exchanges the guy that's in the electric chair and this new guy sits down in the chair. And they, you know, he's got the bag over his, over his head so you can't see who he is. And he said, he said I, I can't believe that he's doing this. What is this? And one guy looks at the other guy and he said, this is absolute love. And he took, the commercial ends with, he took our place. He took the electric chair instead of you and I. You know, he, well, he didn't just take our place. He paid the price and took our place so that we, in turn, and he gives us a free will. I mean, it's just so amazing. He gives us this, just this ability to make that decision, but that we would give our lives for him. Okay. First Corinthians 1, look at 18. It says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So a person that doesn't know anything about God, the cross and the idea that a man would come and that he would die on the cross for someone, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't register, right? 
Well, Jesus made an interesting statement in John 19. He's on the cross, and it's toward the end. He's thirsty. They bring him sour wine. He drinks the sour, or, you know, he tastes some of the sour wine, but then he makes a powerful statement. He makes the statement, it is finished. It is finished. I went back, I looked it up in the Greek, and, and that statement means that he has completed the job, that what he came to do, it's done. When is the job done, Steve? Those, it's when the tools are put away. When you get paid, yeah. I asked the wrong guy. He's <laughs> the job is done when the, pool, when the tools are put away. I mean, it's completed. You've been paid. It's painted. It looks polished. It looks amazing. So Jesus has completed. Thanks for helping me out, Steve. So what did he finish? What did Jesus finish? He paid the price to remove our sin so that we could get his identity and he could restore us back to love this is the work that he completed he wanted to restore us back to love a place of love mark 12 verse 30 talks about the greatest commandments. This is, this is in the Old Testament as well, but Jesus has asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And in verse 30, he says, the first one is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me tell you, I, I was on the floor last night just repenting as I'm reading 1 John 4. And just going, wow, God, the degree, the barometer to the degree that I know you is the way I love others. Now, I don't know about you, but I saw areas of improvement that I can improve in. Because I'm displaying him. I love him by loving John and loving Tabitha and loving the deacons, and loving Kim, and loving Dan, loving Oren, and Elizabeth, and everybody else. My, my responsibility is to love others in doing that. And, and, and this is not about rules. I'm not trying to make this about rules and, and works, but what I, am trying, what I am trying to communicate is that this has been an area that, for me, I, I needed brought back to Okay. <clears throat> Some people say, well, you know, that person loves much because they've been forgiven a lot. I think sometimes we hear these amazing testimonies, and they are. They're, they're amazing testimonies. You know, I think about Todd White, who talks about how he, you know, they, this guy pointed at him with a nine millimeter point blank and just unloaded it. And he said, as he's driving away, God said, I took those bullets for you. Will you live for me? I mean, that's a phenomenal testimony. And then I've seen what God has done in his life and how he has been hungry for God and how God is using him in all these different ways. And he's, he said that he's had people tell him many times, you love much because you've been forgiven much. 
I think all of us need to go back and let's rewind and go, okay, wait a minute. Well, what have I been forgiven of? Because last time I checked, without God, I was headed to hell. I was just one Jesus away from heading in the same direction. You know, it's not about the scorekeeping of, you know, this person did this and this person did this and they're a really bad sinner. No, without Jesus? We're born in sin. But the problem is there's this lack of understanding of what it means to be saved. Again, salvation is that great exchange. So... Mm, man. So let me, let me mention a couple of things, and then I'm going to get Rebecca to come and help me. As believers, there's two things that we really need to understand about the finished work of the cross. First is this. The finished work of the cross is a work that is complete. If you've ever um, helped somebody move, and they had the same piece of furniture sitting against the same wall for a couple of decades and you've ever moved that piece of furniture, you find all kinds of things back there. You know? I mean, we've all done that. I, I was sharing with somebody this morning, I hadn't used a certain suitcase for a long time, and I opened it up, and there was a pair of socks that I thought I'd lost. There they are. You know? I mean, we, we see that, but, but, but yet it's like some people, lately, it's like they, they, they're flipping over rocks looking for snakes in their life. The enemy is coming and he's bringing thoughts and he's, and he's condemning them or trying to bring shame over certain things in their life. And so they're flipping over rocks looking for snakes or they're going back in their ancestral history and looking at the different roots and where they travel and the kind of people that were back here because there's got to be something that has been holed over, something that's been dragging in my life that's, that's attached itself. I have a generational curse that just keeps following me, and it keeps following me, it keeps following me. And the enemy, all the while, is whispering in your ear. And when he notices that he has some traction on that, he stays on it. And he continues to bring it up, continues to bring it up. And so, and so then we have deliverances taking place where the person gets delivered, but then later on, they need to go back through a deliverance again. And then later on, they need to go back through another deliverance again. And so my point is this, is was the cross, the finished work of the cross enough? Because when, when I look at Jesus, I didn't see Jesus do that. I didn't see Paul do that. I didn't see Peter do that. I didn't see any of the apostles go back and have sessions. Well, let's go back in your family. Let me tell you, we all got all kinds of stuff back in our family history. I mean, we do. You can find all kinds of stuff back there. But my point is this, is was the finished work of the cross enough? Because if I'm saying that there's still something hiding behind that piece of furniture or hiding up under the carpet, that the the, the finished work of the cross somehow didn't take care of that, then what I'm saying is that the cross was not a complete work. Is that yeah. resonating? Here's the other thing. The finished work of the cross was a final work. Yes, 
See, to say that I still need deliverance is to say that the cross was not enough. What I'm saying is that God did a complete work in you. And see, if I can't find it in Scripture, I'll I'll give you a barometer that I used for um, determining whether or not something is scriptural or not. It's very simple, but it shouldn't surprise you because I'm a simple guy. (laughs) I don't don't like things confusing because Satan is the author of confusion. (laughs) I don't like to be confused. Um, And so for me, this is the barometer I use. No scripture, not scriptural. No scripture, not scriptural. So what I mean is, is if I'm flipping over rocks and I'm looking for snakes and I'm going back in my family history and I'm doing different things and, and I open the word of God and I can't find that in there, then maybe it's not scriptural. Should I, I should let scripture dictate to me. I, if, if God said it, then I should wrap my faith around that and receive that and accept that and say, you know what? This is the foundation of what I believe. The word of God is final authority in my life. I'm not going to go by feelings. I'm not going to go by different things. You know, oftentimes people will pray for something and, and, and it's, it's almost like they're looking for you know, well, I've been praying for this for a long time. I haven't seen a change yet. I haven't seen God work. And so maybe I need to do something different. No, maybe you just need to continue using the ax and hit the same spot again and again and again and again. Well, how long is it going to take? I mean, I've hit this thing a hundred times. Could be a hundred and one. Because sometimes what people do is they, they look for formulas. They look for different strategies, ways, and, I, and, and don't get me wrong, sometimes Holy Spirit will lead you differently. That's not what I'm saying. But, some, but many times, it's not giving up in faith. It's staying consistent in faith and continuing, continuing to persevere and to hit that log one more time because eventually, you're going to split the log. And it won't be your magic words that split the log. It will be your perseverance your consistency. Mm. See, generational curses can't hide from the cross. The pain of the past can't hide from the cross. Sickness can't hide from the cross. Hmm. Wow. Ah, la, 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 la. If, if God cleanses me from all unrighteousness, what's left? You guys pass righteousness that was easy so <clears throat> all right want to want to mention this and I'm going to I'm going to do something special for you this morning um, I love how simple God just talks to us in his word I like I like how he just makes everything clear and there's no confusion you know um, in in the things that he says and I mentioned a moment ago that the Satan is the author of confusion. And the interesting thing about confusion is it muddies the water. Have you ever been down to South Florida or down to the bayou or, you know, Nicole and I stayed in an A-frame cabin that a pastor owned way down in the very tip of Texas. And it was on a tributary, the, this body of water that came from the ocean. It connected with the ocean. 
and we were down there and I just have a rule. It's me personally. I don't get into water I can't see in. I just, that's the thing for me. I want to, you know, that's why I'm a big pool fan. I love being able to see everything underneath me, you know? And so anyway, so I wasn't tempted to get in the water, but we had already stayed there a couple of nights and the pastor finally, he told me and I was, I was like, well, thanks for telling me we've been out there a couple of nights. He said, oh, by the way, don't get in the water and don't put your feet in the water. Well, a couple of days later, we recognized why there was a six foot alligator swimming across the, yeah, the water. And then I was told by a neighbor that they have two different alligators that live in this area and this is their hunting space. And I thought, I'm really glad I didn't put my toes in the water. I'm glad Nicole didn't, you know, I mean, here we are. And, but this is what the enemy does. Do you know why the enemy wants to make things confusing? It's because it muddies the water and it clouds it to the point to where you can't see that he's in there. And what do alligators do? They hide in the water and get as close as they can so they're within striking distance of their prey. John 10, 10, what does it say? It says the thief comes for three reasons, to steal, to kill, to destroy. Satan doesn't make deals, I got news for you. He's not interested in becoming your buddy. No, he's come for three reasons, steal, kill, destroy. And, and I just see that in this area of confusion that when he brings a thought and the thought causes a person to begin to question, to begin to wonder, I wonder if that's true, and they don't go back and look at the word of God to find out whether or not it's true, then it become, can become distorted and then they can get confused and now the, the water's muddy. And who's sitting in there in the muddy water? He is. I've been reading a book, um, it's called The Effectual Prayer, and it's written by Francis Folks. I wanna read a statement that he made in this book. He said this, this has to do with not my will, but his will being done, me surrendering my will to his will. He said this, when a person comes to the place in growth where he puts the desire that God's will be done in his life before his personal desires, then the time is drawing near when all the good of the kingdom is at his command. Isn't that a powerful statement? Man, when I submit my will, my desire to his, that's, that's amazing. Well, I want to do something special for you, and then I want us to receive communion together. And I'm going to do my best. I do not claim to be an actor um, but I, I, just, I just feel compelled by the Holy Spirit that you guys need to see this. So I'm going to ask John. John doesn't know that I'm going to call him up here. But John, I'm going to ask you to come up here. Come over to this spot. He's a, doesn't John look good? He used to, I used to call him Grizzly, man. He had the beard. Now he looks like Kurt Warner, I think. Um, so what we're going to do is, and in fact, you can use this carpet. This is Nicole's kneeling carpet. So I think this will come. So this will be like your prayer shot. So you're going to get in a position of prayer on your knees and, and crying out to God. Because I want, to, I want you to see how the enemy works and how he does this. And I, I saw Dan Moeller do it. And believe me, you can YouTube this this afternoon and you'll see Dan and it'll be amazing. So, so, so you'll be able to spot all the places where, I'm sorry, I'm just going to do it. I'm going for it. You guys ready? 
All right, so John is an amazing man. He is a man after the heart of God. Now, this is, his, this is truly him as well. But, I'm not, I, but going forward, I'm going to refer to you as my make-believe John, okay? So John is, man, he is on fire for God. And so he is seeking his presence. And John, I'm going to ask you to just act out what I talk about. So he's like, he is seeking God. He is pressing into his presence. And he is discovering who he is in Christ. He's discovering that his faith is in the firm foundation of the word of God. And he's read some things in the word that has just made him go, Oh, God, I didn't even see that. That's amazing. I didn't know that I could stand that way, believe that way. So this is John. So here's what happens. Satan comes over here. And Satan's like, he gets one of his little imps, his little buddies. And he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over there. You see that guy? You see how he's seeking John? Are you guys having a conversation while I'm... All right, so uh, do you, he's saying, do you see how he is seeking after God? Do you see how he is pressing into God's presence? He's pressing in the word of God. He's beginning to live for God. We have got to do something. And the imp says, yeah, boss, what, what do you think we ought to do? He says, well, I want you to go over and I want you to whisper some things into his ears. Here, here's what I want you to whisper. I want you to whisper about his past. I want you to whisper about his identity. In fact, in fact, I, I want you to go a step further and, and I want you to sow some seeds of doubt even in what he's doing right now. And so the imp comes over and he comes over to John and he goes, hey, and he begins to whisper things into John's ear about his identity, about his past, about the mistakes that he's made, about this, about what he's doing now, that you're not really accomplishing anything. You really haven't even learned how to press into the presence of God. What are you doing down here on your knees anyway? You've got a job, you've got a wife at home, you've got things that you need to be able to focus on. What are you doing, John? And John, he thinks about it for a moment, but then he lifts his hands and he says, God, I thank you that my identity is not in my past, but my identity is in who you died and paid the price for me to become. And I think I'm becoming more and more like you every day. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in my life. And I thank you, Lord, that my past is not who I am today because I made a decision and now I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away and all things in my life has become new. And meanwhile, the imp is going, my word what in the world is going on and he's got to come back over to his boss and he's like he said his boss says what happened he said oh I told him my boss I told him exactly what you said to say I said it the way that you said to say it he goes yeah so what's he doing well he's worshiping you idiot what do you mean he's worshiping? Christians don't worship when you tell them those things. They, they go into depression. They get frustrated. They get disappointed in their life. They go into hiding. People don't worship. You must not have told them what I told you to tell them. Boss, I'm telling you, I did. I did. I told him everything you said to say. So he goes, I'll tell you what. Here's what you do. You go over there this next time. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring a thought into his mind. And then what I want you to do is I want you to say, follow it up with, man, if you were, I I thought you had forgiven that person. 
If you were truly saved, if you were truly walking in love, then you wouldn't be having this thought right now. Try that. See how that goes. Okay, boss. Okay, I'll try. I'll try. So he comes back over. And this time he's a little hesitant because he's like, whoa, this guy, this guy is really loves God. And so he makes me nervous because I don't want him to use the name Jesus or something. But he comes back over and he says, he goes, guess what? Guess what? He said, he said man, you remember that time that person did that terrible thing to you and and oh man you remember how awful that was and the feelings and and in John I mean the feelings John just hears his name or the person's name and suddenly these feelings come back and and he says see the feelings you're having right now he said man he said I, I thought you forgave him but if you truly forgave him why would you be having these thoughts right now and then he steps back and now he's watching he's like what he's going to do. Oh, and John's doing it. John just begins to say, God, I thank you. I thank you that when I forgive someone, they are forgiven. And God, I thank you that I'm free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. God, that I'm not bound to that. And I thank you, Lord, that feelings come and go, but my relationship with you and the decision I've made is not based on feelings. And the simp is like, ah, I don't want to go back and tell him on the world. I can't believe this is not how Christians normally respond. And he goes, hey, boss, hey, boss, what? So tell me what happened. He goes, well, boss, you're not going to believe it. I said exactly what you said to say. He goes, well, what did he do? And he said, he started to pray. And then he started to worship. And he goes, really? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I, I think. I think, I think he's a believer. I think he's a believer. <laughs> and we deal with this. Give John a hand, would you? Thank you, John. Appreciate you, man. John is a believer. But we deal with this on a daily basis. We deal with thoughts. The enemy will come, he'll bring a thought, and then he'll follow it up with trying to make you feel bad for having the thought when he was the one that brought the thought. But when you recognize that that's not your thought, that that's a thought that's coming from the outside. See, that's not a thought that you're having. It's a thought that's coming from the outside and it's trying to get in to you. Matthew 6.31 is probably one of the most interesting scriptures I've ever read. It says this in the King James, take no thought saying. That is an interesting scripture. Because how do you take a thought? How do you receive a thought? If you choose to meditate on it and begin to speak it out, the enemy is searching for a way to make it happen in your life and to become who you are. Mm, man. But we're supposed to take thoughts captive. How do you do that? Exactly like we just showed you. You, you tell, you remind, you don't address the enemy. Don't even give him the time of day. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve your time because what, what will happen? You'll rebuke him and he'll come right back. 
We have to take the thought captive. Thoughts of fear try to come, thoughts of regret, thoughts of remorse. They, they all are going to try to come. And it's time for you and I to lift our hands and say, God, I thank you that that's not me, that that's not who I am, that you have forgiven me, that you have redeemed my life, that you have restored my life to love. I'm no longer living hurt by what happened back here. I'm no longer allowing my past to dictate my future because you have given me a brand new future. My future is in you.